everybody has an anchor. What's your anchor? Everybody has an anchor. When there's a storm, what do you cling to? Now, maybe everybody doesn't have a 66-pound anchor, okay? It's good for about a 75-foot yacht. But everybody in the room, <clears throat> you have an anchor. I, uh, I really never paid attention to boat anchors until we moved to Florida about a decade ago. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, had four wonderful grandparents that were healthy and very active, and had my two grandfathers, one taught me to work and one taught me to fish and play. And so the grandfather that taught me to play, he was a gunsmith. And man, I just loved that. As a little boy, I grew up, you know, in his basement. We made guns together. We made muzzleloaders. We made ramrods. We, we molded lead bullets. We made 32 caliber bullets, 44 caliber bullets. I just had a ball with his grandfather. But when we weren't shooting and practicing and going to these muzzleloader shoots, we would go fishing. And he had a bunch of brothers and aunts and uncles who had farms all around Indiana. If you've been to Indiana, it's mainly a bunch of farms anyway, and lots of people have farms there. And so we're we're in these different creeks and streams and rivers, and that's where I really learned my love for fishing. I I just loved it. And what was interesting is I always outfished my grandfather. And I thought maybe he was just letting me win, but I would catch five fish to his one every time. And so I asked my dad once about it. I was 10 years old, and my dad said, no, Kurt, he's just a lousy fisherman. <laughs> and he really was. He really didn't fish. He always fished on the bottom. But, but I, I had so much fun with him, and we'd go to these different, ri- these different lakes and ponds and little boats, but we didn't use anchors. We, we, did, we didn't need anchors in those ponds. When I went to Tennessee and went to school, and then we lived in, in Memphis for 16 years, I bass fished. As a bass fisherman, you keep trolling, you keep moving. You, you don't anchor up in a boat. So we moved here to Florida, and through some pretty cool circumstances, we were blessed with, with an amazing boat. And I learned very quickly that you must understand anchors in the Gulf of Mexico, or you will not come home, Okay. The golf will eat your lunch. And there's not just one kind of anchor. There's multiple types of anchor. There's a bow anchor and there's a stern anchor. And the stern anchors, some of them are good for rocks and some of them are good for sand. And you've got to know the difference between the two. Now, everybody in the room has an anchor. Can you identify yours? It's what you run to when there's stress. It's what you run to when there's a storm in your life. So everybody has an anchor, and everybody needs an anchor, because everybody has storms. Now, if there's one thing I know about you, and I don't know all of you, but we're honored that you're here tonight, but if there's one thing I know, and by the way, you clean up really well tonight. You look look so good. But I know this about you. Even if I don't know you, you're either coming out of a storm, or you're in a storm, or someday soon you will be in a storm. This is true about every one of us in this room. Perhaps this past year, you're just getting out of a storm. Or maybe you're still right smack in the middle of the fairway of a storm, or you're about to get into a storm. 2014, if we all had time to sit down and talk, and talk face-to-face for 20 minutes, or ran into each other at Publix, 
Every one of you probably has a story about how a storm has touched your life. If it hasn't touched you personally, it has touched your family somehow. There's been a divorce, a betrayal. There's been an economic malfunction. There's been a medical malady. Every one of us could probably talk about in our own lives or in our extended family's lives, there is a storm, and we all know that. Let me just ask a couple questions about weather storms. I kind of like storms. Anybody in the room like storms? I, I, I think, yeah, a bunch of nuts in this room. I, th- I think it's kind of, kind of fascinating. How many of you in the room have actually been in a hurricane? I know we're in Florida. How many of you have been in a hurricane? Yeah, that's a trip, isn't it? That's, that's exciting. How about a tornado? Tornadoes, a bunch of Midwesterners in the room? Yeah, all right. How about um, a mudslide? We've had a bunch of people in mudslides, I guess from California or some other, okay, mudslides. What about an earthquake? Anybody an earthquake? Yeah, that's really scary. You don't see that coming, do you? At least you know the hurricane's coming, but the earthquake kind of freaks you out. We've all been in storms. When you study the Christmas story, you realize that everybody in the Christmas story was in a storm. First of all, it was the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had been in a storm now for hundreds of years. They were slaves to the Assyrians. They were slaves to the Babylonians. They were slaves to the Persians. And when this story is written, they are slaves to the Romans. The, the, the nation of Israel had been in a storm, and they were still in a, in a great storm for quite a while. What about King Herod? King Herod was in a personal storm. That guy had something just a screw loose. 69 years old. He had medical storms. He had emotional storms. He had relational storms. King Herod killed two of his wives. He killed two of his sons. And about six months after the Christmas story, he murders son number three. King Herod was a clicker two off. He had his own storms going on, didn't he? Then there's Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and they were barren. And the Bible makes it really, really clear that it wasn't their own fault. But in that day and age, it was looked upon as if you... See, we understand infertility today. We get that medically today. But in that culture, if you didn't have kids, if a woman was barren, that meant there was sin. Lots of sin on her side or lots of sin on, on your side. And we're going to see in just a minute that that wasn't true at all. But they had their own storms. And also, Zechariah faced an economic storm where it would be the kids to help take care of them as they aged. Mary had an immorality storm going on. Mary tells everybody that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, yeah, right. And Joseph, he's got a PR problem going on. Can you believe Joseph believes that story? My gosh, let's sell Joseph some swampland. I mean, Joseph is trying to convince everybody this really is of the Holy Ghost. Everybody has problems. The shepherds. The shepherds were ceremonially unclean. They could not go to the temple to worship. They were in their own religious relational storm that they had. Everybody in the story is in the midst of a storm. You are either in a storm today, or you're just coming out of a storm, or you will be in a storm very soon in your life. Let's look at the story in Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them, now see, here, here's, here's the setup. 
They want you to know that it wasn't because of sin that she was barren. Here's what they tell us. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commands and his decrees, what? Blamelessly. Look at the next verse. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both, I think this is really funny, no political correctness here. They're just a bunch of old people. They're just old, right? And they were old. Look at the next verse. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, and we don't get this, but there was a morning sacrifice, there was an evening sacrifice every day in the temple, and it was this priest's job to go in and change the incense in the morning and go at night and change the incense at night so the incense would keep burning. So when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now, by the way, this is another storm. It's been 400 years since anybody's heard from God. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, but the last prophet that ever spoke in the Old Testament was Nehemiah. And so from Nehemiah to this story of the angel Gabriel, 400 years of silence have gone by. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Well, of course he was. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Would you be afraid if an angel came to you after 400 years? Huh? You'd be freaked out, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He becomes John the, John the Baptist. You went to Sunday school. Look at the next verse. Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? This creates another storm. I am an old man. And my wife is well along in years. He's politically correct right now. <clears throat> Maybe that's why he's still married. I don't know. I'm old. She's well along in years. That was well put. The angel said to him, you want to know how this happens? I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. I'm not some low life angel. I'm not some chump angel. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. <laughs> but now you've got another problem. You're going to be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Gabriel's been kind of busy lately, hasn't he? To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to call him what? You're to call him Jesus, okay? He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom, his kingdom will never end. In those days, Caesar Augustus. Now we've got the Roman, the Holy Roman Empire involved. This is the Roman emperor. He issued us a decree 
that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Every 14 years, a census was ordered. You ordered it for military purposes. You ordered it for tax purposes. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. I love the accuracy here of the historian. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph, he also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there were no guest rooms available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Now, this is interesting to me because these shepherds were out there taking care of the lambs that were sacrificed in the temple for the different festivals. And here, these shepherds who were ceremonially unclean, even though they were taking care of the lambs, they are the first ones to witness and experience the Lamb of God. I love this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. We've been waiting for this for 5,000 years. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Everyone in this Christmas story, except for Herod, were completely grounded in God. Everyone except for Herod knew exactly who their anchor was. And their anchor was deeply anchored in God. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were anchored in God. They raised this incredible boy named John the Baptist. Mary and Joseph went through all the hardship, the 90-mile travel, travel on the back of a donkey, the pregnancy in another, another city. And, and then they had to flee to Bethlehem and Egypt and go back to Nazareth. They were so grounded in God. And the shepherds, they were grounded in their relationship with God. Everybody in the story except for Herod was 100% grounded. Let me ask you this question. You have an anchor. You already have an anchor. Will it hold? Will it hold during the storms? It's not a question of will you have a storm. You will have a storm. And you'll have multiple storms. You live long enough, there's lots of storms that take place. Will your anchor hold in the storms of your life? About three years ago, uh, our son was 20, and he was a junior at Palm Beach Atlantic in West Palm, Florida. So just on the other coast, our son was over there going to school. And through some unique circumstances, he ended up with a 27-foot sailboat. Now, that sounds great, except this sailboat <clears throat> needed a little bit of work to even make it seaworthy, all right? So he and his roommate, Brandon, and his roommate, Cash, they began to go to work on this sailboat. Crystal, you can just see this. And these two guys, these three guys began to work on the sailboat, and they work, and they work, and they work. Finally, <clears throat> they're ready for their maiden voyage. And they take off in West Palm over there, and they come to that giant bridge. You know the great big bridge going over the causeway there? Anybody, anybody know what that is? Have you seen it? Huge bridge 
Well, the bridge, they're going to need the drawbridge to go up, and it goes up 15 minutes after every hour. So at 2.15, the drawbridge will go up, but it's 2 o'clock. And so they're coming rapidly toward the bridge, and Ethan realizes that he needs to turn the boat around. He's got it in reverse, trying to keep the boat from hitting the bridge. So he turns the boat around, trying to go a little bit the other direction, so he can now face the current. It was a great idea. But he turned the wheel so quickly that he popped a gear in the steering wheel. It's like popping your bicycle chain, and all of a sudden you're going like this, and you're not going anywhere. So now he's got dead stick. He can just move the steering wheel all the way around and no rudder. He's rapidly approaching the bridge, the main bridge in West Palm. But that's all right. He's got a, an anchor. So he, takes the, he calls to his roommate, Brandon, Brandon, quickly throw the anchor. And Brandon grabs the anchor, and he throws it. It wasn't attached to the boat. <laughs> wasn't tied to a cleat. Wasn't tied to a hook. It was a good throw, though. And that anchor right now to this day is in the bottom of that channel. It's in the canal. Now, by the way, they all waited about, all the women in my family and Ethan, they all waited about a week and a half to tell me this story. So I said, Ethan, what happened? He said, we hit the bridge, Dad. <laughs> hit the bridge. My next question should have been, were you, are you okay? But that wasn't. I said, how was the boat? <laughs> he said, not good, Dad. Broke this, broke this, broke this. Really messed it up royally. I said, oh. I said, well, you still got a problem because how do you secure this kind of a boat? And he said, well, that's another part of the story. There were two workers there that were working on the bridge, and they're in full outfits, steel toe shoes, boots, jackets. And he said, they decided to help us, and one of them slipped off the boat and went down into the water by the bridge. He said, and he couldn't swim with those steel toe boots. It was pulling him under. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, the other worker had to rescue him. Meanwhile, I'm now going past the bridge into the, you know, dead stick. And finally, they rescued the one guy, got Ethan out of the water, and his roommate took him up about 150 yards, and he threw another anchor that was attached, and he just stood there. He said, Dad, it all happened in about 10 minutes. He said, in 10 minutes? I would worked on this boat for a year. In 10 minutes, it was completely destroyed. <laughs> I'm on the other end of the phone trying not to laugh, you know, because I didn't think it was a good idea in the first place. But I wasn't going to say that at that moment, right? So... I think about that story often because he wasn't tied on to anything. It was a great idea to throw the anchor, but it was not an anchor that, that could or that would hold. And I see that all the time in life. Good things that God has given to us that were never designed to be anchors. In other words, my fishing poles are great. I catch fish with my fishing poles. I've never tried to use a fishing pole as an anchor, but I think my fishing poles would make terrible anchors. And there's so many good things that God's given to us that I see people trying to tie up and tie off and to hold, and they were never intended to. They make lousy anchors. And so what are things that people do today? Well, people try to, to find adventure as, as if adventure is going to be their anchor. Or maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or a kid or a business or a job or a new, new, new whatever. You see, all those things are good. Your Heavenly Father has given you all these wonderful things. A spouse is a great gift. 
But it's a lousy anchor because at some time, one of you is going to die. Kids are wonderful gifts, but they make lousy anchors because at some point, they're going to move away. A job is a wonderful gift, but at some day, you're going to retire. Uh, all your investments are, are wonderful to have, and I hope you've got a lot of them, but they make terrible anchors because a recession, a merger, a bad deal, a couple of really bad decisions, and they're all gone. They just don't make good anchors. So I'm here to encourage you to think about the best anchor for your life. I'm just trying to help point out. My job's not to convince you. My job's just to clarify and point out a few things that I think he is the anchor that you want and need in your life. Hebrews chapter 6, 19 says this. We have this anchor. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. We have this hope. What's the hope? Well, the hope is the Christmas story. What's the hope? The hope is the Easter story. What's the hope? The hope is that God is squarely on his throne no matter what I go through, no matter what you go through. The hope is in our faith that God is real, righteous, holy, and has a plan for everybody's life. You see, the three greatest storms that we all face, it's universal. Every person, believer or not believer, faces these three storms. Males, females, all face these three storms. The greatest three storms that you and I face in our life, number one is sin. Everybody faces the repercussions of sin. Sin causes pain. Sin causes guilt. Sin causes shame. Sin causes the very things to happen in your life that you just don't want. And it's universal. And yet that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to shed his blood on a cross to forgive you and me of all of our sins. And so the blood of Christ takes away my worst storm. Your worst storm is sin. And so when we become a Christian, all our sins, past, present, and future, get wiped away. Sin is our number one storm. A number two storm is called sorrow. You live long enough you're going to have sorrow. You can't have enough money to not have sorrow. You can't have enough confidence in the people around you to keep you from sorrow. You can never isolate yourself enough where there won't be sorrow in your life. Everybody who lives long enough experiences a betrayal, a divorce, a bankruptcy, everybody, a loss, a death, everybody does. And yet Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you talk to people who've had a loss, and they will tell you that it's in those moments of loss when they feel the power and the presence of God more than any other time in their life. We all have the storm of sin. We all have the storm of sorrow. We all have the storm of death. So far, the death rate is hovering about 100%, right? Right? One out of one is going to die given enough time. We all know that. And yet Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Jesus is not saying you're not going to physically die. But Jesus is saying, you put your anchor in me. You put your hope in me. And you're going to live forever. Now those four grandparents were amazing. 
The grandmothers cooked for me. The grandfather spent time with me. It was an amazing. I had the privilege of doing all four of their funerals. It was an honor for me to do my grandparents' funerals. But I've not lost them. I've only lost contact with them. I've not lost my grandparents. I've just simply lost contact with them for a few short years. So I, I want to encourage you to make some decisions about who or what will your anchors be. We're going to pass out some anchors right now, and I'm going to encourage everybody in the room to take one. If you've been a Christian for a long, long time, you're holding on to this hope. Go ahead and pass them out. Let everybody have one. If, if you've not been a Christian for very long, you're maybe struggling with holding on to the anchor, the hope of Christ. I want you to take one. Maybe right now you're not in fellowship with God. Maybe right now, spiritually, you're not in, on a very good path. Maybe right now you're struggling. I want you to take one. I want this to have your hope, to give you hope and, and courage. Thirdly, maybe some of you in this room, you're not really convinced that this is a, a, the right anchor. You're, you're not convinced. You're still trying to figure this all out. We are so glad you're here. Take one anyway. Take one anyway. Put this in a prominent place. And see if you can find a better anchor than Jesus Christ. And if you find a better anchor than Jesus, will you email me? I'd love to know. I really would. So take this. Maybe put it on your Christmas tree. One of my friends a while ago, he put it on his key ring. I'm going to put this in my pocket. Maybe you want to tape this on your bathroom mirror. Put it in some place, hold on to it, some place where it's prominent, where throughout the storms of your life, you'll hold on to this and you'll hold on to Jesus. You'll hold on to this storm. It was the late 1800s. He was a lawyer from Chicago, very prominent lawyer, had a beautiful wife, five wonderful children, five small kids. But the lawyer from Chicago's son, the only one of the five was a little boy, he got a fever, and he couldn't shake the fever, and he died. The lawyer was devastated, as was the wife. And so they were getting ready to take a trip. They were going to go to Europe just to kind of regroup when the great Chicago fire struck. Do you remember that from history? And the great Chicago fire swept through and destroyed most of Chicago. And it destroyed half of this lawyer's wealth. Half of his real estate portfolio literally got burned up in the Chicago fire. Devastated. Lost his son, lost half of his wealth. He takes his wife and the four daughters from Chicago and has them go to the coast, and they board a ship that's going toward Europe. And while on the way to Europe, the ship collides with another ship, and the ship goes down. The wife survived. All four daughters died. The wife was able to send back the telegram by saying, Ship collided. I alone survived. Lost all four girls. So here's a man, in just a matter of weeks, 
lost his son, lost half of his investments, and lost all four of his daughters, and has a grieving wife. He's in Chicago, has a grieving wife now in Europe. So he goes to the coast, he boards a ship, and he begins to take off the ship going to see his grieving wife. And he asks the captain, when we get to the spot in the ocean where the two ships collided and my four girls went down, I'd like you to, to tell me. If it's in the middle of the night, wake me up. If it's in the daytime, come find me. I, I would like for you to do that. The captain said, I will do that. And so they came to that spot where the ships collided and where the four girls were lost. And the man just hovered over that spot and prayed. And he had an anchor. He had an anchor. He had an anchor that was amazing. And he wrote the words to this old hymn that many of you have sung many, many times, but you may not have known the backstory to why and how the hymn was written. It was written in the 1800s, and we don't speak like this today, and it's older English, and we don't talk like this today. But here's the first verse that he wrote. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way. We don't use the word attendeth. We'd say when peace like a river happens, when peace like a river comes, when it occurs. But he's saying there's seasons of your life where it's good. There's seasons of your life when you're not in a storm. When, when peace like a river comes my way. But, look at the next verse. But when sorrows like sea billows roll, there are seasons of your life where there's sorrow. And it's just billowing, just like the waves billowing against you. I have fished in 14 and 15 foot waves where I was literally tied into the boat so I wouldn't fall over. That's not a lot of fun. And those seasons of life where those waves just keep pounding on you. And he's saying, when there's times where there's peace, but there's times when there's sorrow. Look at the next part of the verse. He says this, whatever my lot, whether it's peace, whether it's sorrow, that was taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And the second verse talks about the role of Satan, how Satan causes problems. He says this, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. So I'm going to ask you to take your anchor, your hope, and I'm going to ask you to put it in one of your hands, your right hand or your left hand, whichever one, and I want to ask you to stand with all of your heart and worship with all your mind and soul and strength right now we're going to sing this old hymn. We're going to sing this old hymn, and we're going to worship our great Heavenly Father because we have a hope. We have hope that's firm and that's secure.